What a wonderful chapter that is. Let's pray as we begin. Father, we thank you for your words to us this morning in this amazing chapter of 1 Corinthians. What a great hope we have. And we pray this morning, Lord, that you'll show us once again and remind us once again of the hope that we have. Build us up and encourage us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if you've ever sat there and thought, what will heaven be like? What will it be like after death? What will my body be like? Who will I be with? What will we all look like? Will I be uh, in heaven? Um, will I look like I did in my prime? Will it be, is that what it will be like? Or will I still have these dodgy knees that I have to walk around with? I think at some point we've all asked those questions or we've heard people ask those questions. What will it be like? Well, Paul addresses two questions which are questions that we might have asked ourselves. How are the dead raised? And what kind of body will they have? But these are not coming from genuine inquiries, these questions that Paul addresses. These are coming from people who are skeptical about the resurrection of the dead. They think it's all completely ridiculous. They, they, they say, how were the dead raised? What kind of body will they have? How can a dead body that has gone into the ground that for the whole of its life has been decaying and will decay even further now it's in the ground, how, how will that body be raised? Or even what use would that body be? What use would it be being raised in a body that has been decaying and continues to decay in the ground? Well, there was this um, thought at the time uh, of Greek dualism where they taught and believed that the spirit is good and the body is evil, is bad. And so why would you want to be raised in a body when that is just evil, when it's bad. It's the soul that's good. Who cares uh, of the body? And so these questions are asked, or these questions are answered by Paul uh, from people who are mocking this idea of being raised bodily. They're saying this is completely ridiculous. Why would you ever want that? Or why would it ever be possible for that to happen? And Paul gives this uh, really blunt response. What a foolish question. Literally, he's saying, you fool. You fool. What a foolish thing to think and ask. What a ridiculous, worthless uh, question you're asking. What uh, pointless objections you're bringing he says, look at nature. Look at nature. Look at the things around us. Look how God is at work there. Verse 36, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Paul uses this imagery of a seed being planted. It goes into the ground and then it pops up as 
something else. Paul's saying, look at the natural world and it's filled with examples of life coming from death. So this week, uh, we've been in schools, uh, and in the primary schools, we've been um, talking about Easter. And part of the activity that we were doing was sowing crest seeds. They all had their pot with some soil in, and they put crest seed in it. And in a couple of weeks or so, they will have this tower of crest seed. Now, a lot of them didn't even know what crest was, but that's beside the point. You can eat it. But you have this bag of crest seed, and it's tiny, and it looks lifeless until it's put into the soil, and it's watered, and in a week or two, it will begin to grow. I think it's amazing. When you plant a seed in the ground, something completely different grows. And I think we can take that for granted sometimes, that wonderful imagery of these tiny little seeds, these things that look dead and lifeless. When they're put in the ground, they grow into flowers or crests or giant trees or whatever that it is. It's an amazing picture that the thing that looks dead goes into the ground and comes up with life. It's completely transformed. And Paul is saying, look at nature. It shows us what God is doing. He brings life out of death. And so, is it too much for God then to do that for us? To bring resurrection bodies that have been transformed. All they need to do, Paul says to them, is open their eyes and see what God is doing. It's all around us, life out of death. And it's God who gives uh, the seed a body. Verse 38, then God gives it the new, the new body he wants it to have. A different plant grows from each kind of seed. Who is it that brings life out of death? It's God. God brings life out of death. And we see it in nature. Paul, saying, Paul says, look, we, we see the different kinds of bodies. There are different kinds of flesh, different kinds of body, one kind for humans, for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are also bodies in the heavens and bodies on the earth. We can look around at creation and see the different kinds of bodies that God has created. And we shouldn't think it beyond God's capability uh, to create different kinds of human body. So we have our earthly body, which we're in now. And because of the resurrection, uh, we will have resurrection bodies, which we'll receive in the future. And we shouldn't think that impossible, because we see it all the time around us in nature. So Paul is pointing out to those who are asking these questions, those skeptics in, uh, in the Corinthian church. He's saying, stop being so foolish. Open your eyes and see how God brings life out of death. And I, I don't know about you, but when I think about uh, having a resurrection body, that's amazing. It's a wonderful thing uh, to think about. 
Because our bodies know, Paul says here in verse 42 and 43, our bodies know are perishable. They're dishonorable and they are weak. And don't we know that? We get ill. We get sick. Our bones break. We get old. Our hair changes color to a gray sheen. We can't do the things that we used to do. Our bodies are tarnished by sin. Our bodies are weak. We get tired. Our muscles ache. And then eventually, we all die. And the world knows that. How many adverts are there on TV about different kinds of serum that you can put on your face to make yourself look younger or uh, the world is just trying to stop that decay from happening. But as Christians, we have a hope that enables us to cope with all these things that we have to deal with. Getting old, being sick, uh, feeling weak and tired. We have a hope that helps us cope with all of that because one day we will receive a new body. We all should be whooping at that point. Isn't it amazing? We'll all receive a new body that will be imperishable. It'll be glorious and it'll be strong. It'll be powerful. That's the contrast that Paul gives between our earthly body now and our resurrection body in the future. It's a wonderful picture. Yes, we have to endure the pains of our bodies now. But one day, we will be transformed. We'll have resurrection bodies. And is it worth it? Is it worth the wait? Absolutely it is. It is worth waiting for. So Paul says to those asking those ridiculous questions, just look around you. Look around you and see how God brings life out of death, how he transforms things that look lifeless into things of life. Paul moves on from those examples of nature to Jesus himself. He says, look at Jesus. Look at him and his risen body. Verse 44 For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. And Paul goes on to make this contrast between Adam, the first man, and Christ. Because uh, Adam was the first man, we all bear his likeness. We all have earthly bodies. One day, those who are in Christ, those uh, who call themselves Christians will bear the image of Christ. So we now bear the image of Adam and all that means in its fallenness and all those things that Paul has said in its weakness. That's the image we bear now. One day we will bear the image of Christ and we'll receive a heavenly spiritual body. Verse 46 What comes first is the natural body. Then the spiritual body comes later. The natural body is now. Later comes this spiritual body. But Paul can't mean when he says spiritual body uh, that 
were sort of things that float around on the clouds. I think we can be 100% sure that these spiritual bodies that Paul speaks about are physical bodies, just different but similar to what we have now. Because you'll remember after Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to his disciples. They saw him, they uh, touched him, they sat with him, he ate with uh, the disciples. They could recognize that it was him. He was physically there with them. And so when Paul speaks uh, of a spiritual body, I don't think it is things floating about. I think it is a physical I think he's talking about a physical body, which is different but the same. The new creation when Christ returns will be a physical place with people in it with physical bodies. Heaven will will be a physical thing. And we will be there as physical beings in physical bodies face to face with our great God. I mean, it it boggles our minds in one sense to say that we're transformed and different, but we can still be recognized in our bodies. But isn't it amazing that we will be transformed and we will be physically with one another and with God? And so we can have confidence that in the resurrection we'll have real physical bodies because Christ rose from the dead and he himself had a real physical body. His resurrection is the guarantee for the hope that we have beyond the grave. And so as we get older, and we all do, and we often look back uh, to the past. Uh, we, we might say we look back to the glory days where we were the supreme athlete or whatever. That was our prime time of life and we look back. And the danger is that we look back and wish we were there again. It's good to look back and remember those times and enjoy those times. But we have something better to look forward to. So look back, but don't forget to look forward. Because for us as Christians, the best is yet to come. Verse 49, just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. We will be transformed. We will be like Christ at the resurrection. And our bodies will be free from sickness, from disease, from aging, from decaying. They will be raised in glory and in power. And it will be a body that bears the image of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our bodies will be transformed. And they must be transformed. Because Paul says in verse 50, that perishable cannot inherit the imperishable. He goes on, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. 
in a flash, in the twinkle of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. There may have been some in Corinth who, who were thinking, well, if Christ comes back today, and I'm still alive, will I miss out uh, on this transformation that will happen at the resurrection? Uh, and Paul says, absolutely not. No one will miss out uh, on that transformation. All Christians, regardless of whether uh, we fall asleep, as in die, or whether we're alive when Christ returns, we will not miss out on that glorious day when we'll be transformed. All believers, all Christians, in the twinkling of an eye, will be changed and will receive our imperishable bodies fit for the kingdom of God. When that day comes, when the trumpet sounds, when Christ returns, when as Matthew 24, 31 says, he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other, then Isaiah's prophecy in verse 54 will be fulfilled. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Death will not and does not have the final say. The dead will be raised and all believers will be clothed with the imperishable. Will be like Christ, will bear his image and will physically be with Christ in heaven. All because Jesus died and rose again. He defeated death. The evangelist David Watson used uh, an illustration to explain what uh, happened when Jesus died. Uh, his daughter was in the garden uh, and one day she shouted uh, her dad to come out. She was sort of um, <clears throat> terrified about what was going on in the garden. And she was being chased by a bee. And so uh, he comes out and he wraps his arms around his daughter. And as he does that, uh, she feels uh, his body tense up for a minute. And then he relaxes. And he lets his daughter go and he says, you needn't worry now, darling. The bee has stung me. And, the bees, and bees don't sting twice. The bee has stung me and bees don't sting twice. I think it's a brilliant illustration of what Christ has done for us on the cross. Because Christ died, and because he rose again, we can say uh, what Paul writes in verse 55. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? We can say that with confidence because as Christ died on the cross, he wrapped his arms around us and took the sting of our sin and the sting of death upon himself. He uh, took our place upon that cross so that we don't need to face the sting of sin and death ourselves.
Yes, we may still die, but the sting of death has been dealt with by Jesus on the cross and in his resurrection. And so, thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death is no longer anything to be feared because death has been defeated by Jesus. And that's wonderful news and that is the hope that we've been sharing all week uh, during this mission week. Therefore, Paul says in verse 58, because of all that he has said in this chapter, uh, chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, because death has been defeated. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Because death has been defeated, we can stand firm. We can stand firm, unshaken, standing firm in the gospel because Jesus defeated death and rose to life. We can stand immovable, being deep-rooted in Him. Colossians chapter 1, verse 23, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. That is what we stand firm in. We stand firm in the gospel. And what is the gospel? Paul told us right at the beginning of this chapter. Christ died, Christ was buried, Christ rose again. That is what we stand firm in. And then notice how Paul ends this brilliant chapter. He ends it as he began the chapter. You remember right at the beginning uh, that he wants them to continue in the gospel so that they haven't believed in vain. Because if they let go of the gospel, if they let go of the hope that Jesus holds out, if they deny that Jesus rose from the dead, then their faith would prove to be in vain. It would prove to be empty, useless. And so at the end of chapter 15, we get that in vain again. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. As they stand firm in the gospel, as we stand firm in the gospel, uh, which is the hope of Christ dying and defeating death and him rising to life. Uh, And since Christ has risen from the dead, we too will rise from the dead. All our work uh, in the name of the Lord is not work done in vain. It is not empty. It is not useless. Because it will last because of the resurrection of Christ. What is this work? Colossians 3, 17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. What is this work, this labor in the Lord? It is everything that we do. Whatever we do, we seek to do it for his glory. When we do the washing up, 
we do it for his glory. When we make somebody a meal, we do it for, their, for his glory. When we help our neighbor, uh, when we host Cape and Ray students for the week, when we give our time and our skills and our talents, we do it for his glory. When we serve one another in love, we do it for his glory. Everything we do, all our work, we do for the glory of the Lord. And because death has been defeated, our labor is not in vain. Luke 14, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Our work for the Lord and for his glory may go unrecognized for the whole of our lives. But that doesn't matter because one day we will be rewarded by him at the resurrection. That's when our work will be seen by Christ and he will have all the glory for all that he has done. And so because our labor is not in vain, we can always give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Let us always abound in the work of the Lord, knowing that our work is not in vain. Death has been defeated. We, uh, what awaits us in the future is glorious. When Christ returns, we will be transformed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Let's pray. Father, what a glorious hope we have in you. Thank you for that day uh, in the future when Christ will return when we'll be uh, transformed to be like him. What a great hope we have and what a great day we look forward to. The best is yet to come. And Father, as we hold on to that hope because Jesus uh, died and defeated death and he rose to life, help us to do all things for your glory. Help us to abound in labor in your name because we know that it is not in vain. Father, help us to hold out that hope uh, to the world around us. Be at work, we pray, transforming uh, people now, giving them that hope of the resurrection. Draw people to you, we pray, all for your glory. Amen.